Hello, this is Nathan Ray, and this is my friend Mark Wong. Hey, Mark. Hey, what's going on, Nate? I'm tired. I'm really tired. Um, just got back from doing groceries, and uh... <laughs> it's like we're on the exact same trajectory. I just got back in as well, and I'm not really that tired, but yeah, it's just a lot of running around, a lot of going on, lots going on in this world today, and you know, you can feel it when you're out there. <laughs> How do we know each other? Where did we meet? I met you through uh, a mutual friend, a good friend TK. We met on a Zoom call every week. I was hosting Zoom calls, particularly for some of the young people at my church, but you know, you joined on and we welcomed you and we were happy to have you week by week. And we kind of got to know each other through these weekly Zoom calls where we just talked about God, life, what's going on in today's world. And we just kind of shared and you're always open and ready to share. So that's why I really enjoy having you on. We're not in the same city, are we? Not at all. I'm out here in Toronto. You're over there in Edmonton. Yeah. And we've never, ever met in person, just over video chat. Nope, not even. It's all a video life out here. <laughs> but it's cool. It's cool. Yeah, we've never met in person, but just getting to know you, where you're at, and some of your stories and testimony, I thought was really cool. And that's that's kind of the beauty of the online environment that we can create, the community that we can create, and kind of like the whole COVID thing kind of brought all this stuff to the forefront. I've been meeting so many people in different cities all over the world and finding out that, you know, there's like experiences, there's shared experiences even though we've never met each other face-to-face. So I think it's kind of cool. Do you hope to meet these people face-to-face one day? And if so, how do you imagine that happening? Some of them I do. I actually hope to meet you one day face-to-face. I hope that we would meet at the heights of our collective goals, some of the things that we're looking to do and wanting to do in our future. I'd hope that our futures would cause us to cross paths, you know what I mean? But definitely, if I'm in Edmonton anytime soon, before you move on from that place, I'll definitely come to get some coffee with you. Yeah. I myself, I'm planning on going to Toronto next March for TK and Carissa's wedding reception. We're definitely going to see each other at that. Hopefully. Assuming, you know, the government doesn't screw everything up and impose more restrictions. Yeah, it's a hot zone out here right now. They they started imposing more restrictions. I think there was over 900 cases just yesterday or whatever, largest single day case load. So yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy out here right now. It's weird because like, you know, you'd think that with all the restrictions in place, everyone would be safe, right? People are tired of it, man. That's what I'm finding, at least. I'm finding that people are pretty tired of the lockdown and being restrained to doing everything electronically and being alone. And Yeah, but, you know, honestly, we have to just, if we can find ways of reaching people while staying within the guidelines, I think there's a great opportunity for ministry. We need community at this time more than ever. I was talking to a friend earlier today, and I was saying, I don't think we valued the assembling where, the, you know, the scripture says forsake, not the assembling together of yourselves or whatever. I don't think we va- valued the assembling together just because we could do it every single week. And now that it's kind of taken away from us and we can't freely gather in any amount of number of people that we want, 
we're really seeing the value of getting together. I had a very small get together with some friends on Sunday and we just had a time of worship and some prayer and sharing in the word. And it was just so powerful to have that, that communion with other believers. You know what I mean? So that was amazing. And I think we need to value that. So aside from that experience, how else has God been working in your life over the last week or so? Oh, man, you know, to explain it, I guess, in a biblical way, you know, there's a scripture that says uh, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but everything that remains typically is the, it will be the kingdom of God. And I feel like my life is kind of in that place where a lot of things work related, family related, financially related have just been shaken in this season. And I'm just looking around and seeing, okay, Maybe this thing that I was planning to do for the past five years of my life, it wasn't all that aligned with what God really and truly had for me. So I've actually been in a season of seeking his face again, really since COVID started, like really seeking his face again in a way that I wasn't, you know, I guess in a more focused way that I wasn't before. And just asking the Lord, what does he have for me? What does he have for my family? And how can I proceed? It hasn't been an easy season. I'll say that. But I feel confident that God is doing something greater that I can't fully discern right now. But I have great expectation and hope that the Lord's going to bring me to the other side, right? We're selling our place. We're downsizing. We're just doing whatever we can to get through this season. But yeah, it's been, it's been very interesting to say the least. For myself, I would say that I'm not having to get rid of my house. I'm not having to downsize. I'm not having to give up my life in that regard, but you and I, we've been part of this sexual addiction recovery group of sorts for the last month or so. And I would say the way that God has been working my life is that he's been there with me to help me move past this addiction that I've been struggling with for years. I remember last night in particular was uh, very hard for me. I was just laying in bed, thinking up all the different fantasies that would normally just get me to go ahead and masturbate. And, you know, like, it's it's like you go through the same patterns of just reaching out to God and then going ahead and doing it anyways. And in this case, even though I felt just really helpless, and I felt like maybe this is it, maybe I'm just going to have to break again. One thing that motivated me to continue going on and just stay strong is just the knowledge that I've been doing this for like 35 days. I have the longest streak in our entire group. As far as I'm aware, I am not going to relinquish that title. And it's like, (laughs) it's weird because like, whenever I thought to myself, I'm doing this for a girl, it's never worked. Whenever I thought to myself, I'm doing this with an accountability partner, it's never worked. Whenever Like now I'm thinking to myself, I'm doing this with a bunch of other testosterone laden guys who really want to get laid, some of whom are actually getting laid. And I'm basically the only person who's not getting laid on a regular (laughs) basis. I want to maintain that spirit of competition and that incentive to just go on and do my best and do better than everyone else. Yeah, I find that interesting that that's a motivation, just healthy competition, which is kind of cool. Just to speak to, I guess, the vibe in the group. I mean, a couple of them are married, some of them are not. 
But I guess we've all currently struggled with or struggled with in our past, you know, pornography, lust, sexual immorality, and stuff like that. And it's something that's quite common, I would say, in our generation. Like many people just think it's normal to watch pornography and masturbate. Like if you don't do this, then it's like, what? You don't do that? Like it's kind of weird because it's so accessible, um, so easily accessible and something that is really literally right at our fingertips. And what I love about the group the most is this, that it's a small group. It's just a few of us, but every guy in there has recognized or has recognized that this is not normal. This is not something that we should be engaging in and are actively fighting against it, you know? And, and for me, it's kind of a privilege of mine to kind of help you guys because I guess I'm the oldest one there and kind of come through it and have found victory in many different ways. So just trying to encourage you guys along in the <laughs> in it has been quite a privilege for me and just giving you guys I guess even some little tips here and there of things that I've done that have helped me to grow and not to magnify it I guess that's the thing that I really want to say I feel like a lot of times when it comes to especially issues around sexual morality and stuff we magnify it in our minds to such an extent not to say that it's insignificant but we magnify it in our minds to such an extent that it's like this is such a deep-seated issue such a deep-seated struggle that we cannot overcome it that it's going to require all kinds of things for us to overcome it we're going to have to kind of work up all these things within ourselves and i just don't see that as true as i magnified christ and christ was magnified in my heart and i started to focus on the revelation of jesus and who he is and what he has for me and that stuff started to become the primary the you know lustful desires decreased significantly and i think i was even sharing this with you yesterday like so when that stuff starts cropping up and the urges get really strong it's actually a good sign because it, it just means that you know you're going through a purging it's like a cleansing process and sometimes when the stuff comes up it's a part of that purging and cleansing as well you know we ought to be doing this sort of thing not for although healthy competition is good not for the sake of each other not for any girl or whatever but because we want Christ to be glorified in our lives. And when I, and when I came to that understanding and allowed Christ to be magnified in, in me, that was kind of the differentiator. That's why a lot of times when I share with you guys, I'm talking about Jesus, I'm talking about how magnificent he is, because that to me differentiates the people who are just trying to strive against it in their flesh and people who are going to actually allow the spirit of God to help them overcome these sorts of issues, right? So how did you come to see Jesus Christ as magnificent? It was mostly in the scripture and in the place of prayer, right? Before I was getting married, I would ask God specifically. So this is maybe about five years ago or so. I'd ask God, give me a vision for my wife. You know, give me eyes to see her the way that you'd have me to see her right? I want to see her for the woman of God that she is. I want to see her the way that you see her. And in the process of that, he was like, hey, you got to see women all together differently, right? And he started to show me through the scripture how he viewed women, the type of honor and respect that he had for his mother. Even the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, Jesus was so endearing to her in John chapter 8 when he delivered her from those who were accusing her and wanting to stone her to death. Jesus was always respectful and endearing to women. And that was something that really opened my eyes to who Jesus is. And that in and of itself caused me to even look differently. 
at women. In our culture today, a lot of times for men, unfortunately, the way women are so hypersexualized, in my opinion, it causes us to objectify women. It causes us to see them through a very narrow lens of what we can get from them, what we can get out of them. And that's just not the godly way. And Jesus blessed and ministered to women and poured into them. And I feel like that is godly manhood. You know what I mean? And we need to find that in the scripture and let that be a guideline for us as men. I don't know if that answers your question, hopefully. A little bit. If I might ask, how did you get into sex addiction in the first place? And were there any other behaviors that came along with that? That's a deep, that question is just, that's a deep question, man. Like, I remember when I first viewed pornography, I was probably nine years old. So I think I was in grade three or something like that. Found a videotape. Ooh, what's this? You know, Um, that intrigued me. Boys in school would pass around torn up magazines. <laughs> so this is like before the age of the internet <laughs> or when the internet was on the telephone line and it was super slow. But yeah, boys in school would pass around torn up magazines. And it's just those little things that piqued your interest. And then middle school, like 11, 12, like people were like, I don't know, maybe it was just puberty or whatever, but people were feeling each other. People were experimenting. Like some people were already having sex and stuff like that. So people were already engaging in that stuff, 11, 12, 13 years old, right? It was just kind of something that was introduced at a very young age, that seed was planted. And then through life, obviously being attracted to the opposite sex, stuff like that, and being curious and wanting to experiment and all that, It just kept growing, right? And it goes unchecked as a little kid because you're kind of young in your mind. You're not even able to check it until you're 21, 22, and you realize, oh my God, I got a real issue here. I can't stop seeing women in this light. Like I can't look at them in any other way. So by the time it's full-blown 10, 12 years later, that's when you start realizing that you have an issue. And that's what the devil wants, right? He wants to get you from when you're young And then when you're in your 20s, when you should be focusing on blooming and blossoming as a person and getting into the fullness of who you're meant to be and what you're going to give your life to and all that stuff. Instead, you're struggling with all these uh, addictions and issues, emotional issues that come from torn relationships and all these things, right? Did your parents know about this? And if so, did they do anything to try and help you? Great question. I would say... No, both my my mom, like everything was kind of hidden. My dad knew that I kind of had certain desires. I mean, he found my magazine stash when I was a little kid and stuff like that. I don't think he told my mom, but he knew the, about, about stuff. But I think that he probably just saw that as, oh, this is just a normal evolution of a boy, I guess. I don't think he's seen it as a major problem. We just talk about, you know, making sure you have safe sex. My dad's not a Christian, by the way. So he's talking about, hey, you know, make sure you don't have it. Yeah, come home, get any girl pregnant. Like the standard was pretty low, right? It wasn't like sexual purity or anything like that. It was, if you're going to do something, make sure you're being safe and make sure that you're not getting anybody pregnant or that you're not getting disease or whatever like that. My mom never really talked to me about that stuff. She just kind of would just tell me the like, you know, the Bible, like don't have sex before marriage, wait for your wife. Like, I wasn't really even a Christian, so I don't really care. You know, you grew up in church, but it's like, okay, why am I even listening to that? That doesn't even make sense to me. 
it really wasn't until I was like 20, 21, we became a Christian. Then that's when these sin issues started to become an issue or, or make sense to me that, oh my gosh, like this stuff is ruining my life because I got this girl pregnant or this happened, girl got a miscarriage or all these broken relationships before I even hit 21. All these drama and issues that I didn't really need in life because I wasn't obeying the law of God. So did my parents help me? I guess the answer would be no. Nobody ever asked me that question before. I guess the answer would be no. Wow. Is there anything you wish that your parents would have said to you or did with you to help address this issue in your life? I'll be honest. I wasn't necessarily the most obedient child. I don't know what they could have done, especially my teenage years. Like they talked to me about, like I said, my dad talked to me about certain things. And I was just like, all right, okay, cool. You know what I mean? But it wasn't like I was trying to take them in. I think I've been the kind of person who learns by experience. So even today, my life is a testament to that. Like God's teaching me certain things through a ton of experiences. Not always the best. I mean, it's kind of good if you can learn through listening to others, obeying your parents, observing certain understandings, wisdom, law, stuff like that. It's kind of good if you can learn through those means. You don't have to learn through experience on everything, but it was probably pretty bullheaded. I don't think there was anything my parents could have done much differently to teach me otherwise other than maybe like shit opening up and sharing their own experiences because it wasn't until I was like probably 25 26 like it was well on later on in life where they kind of was like yeah we went through certain things this happened to us that happened to us maybe if they were more open with us uh, because I have a brother and an older sister at a younger age then perhaps that may have made a difference because I think reality kind of speaks but you know Culturally speaking, like my parents are Jamaican, right? So culturally speaking, it's not something you necessarily talk to your kids about from a young age. Like now I think I would talk to my kids about a younger after going through everything that I went through and even just opening up about my experiences from a younger age. But yeah, culturally speaking, like their parents didn't talk to them about this. When my mom says the type of stuff her mom told her, it was like nothing, literally. Like, don't let a boy touch you here or touch you there. Like, that was basically the extent of their conversation, right? So it's kind of interesting. So you kind of had this revelation that you were screwing up your life in your early 20s. Were you immediately drawn back to the church or did you go through more experiences before you uh, hit that point in your life? So great question. So um, basically my high school years, so from like 15 to like 18, I was in a, one relationship with this girl who I really loved and thought she'd be my everything. And so anyways, I had a, this one girl throughout most of high school. We were very, I think I'd say very impassioned people. So it was very topsy-turvy up and down, but we, I think we did really care for each other. And it came to a point where the relationship couldn't go on anymore. And she dumped me, which was like, yo, what the hell's going on, right? But she dumped me based on, still to my day, I perceive it as certain insecurities that she had. But I was immature, at least, in helping her address those things. I didn't show any tender love and care towards what I would have considered insecurities. So when we broke up, I kind of spiraled out a little bit. I did some things that I started doing like drugs and stuff like that, which I never did that stuff. Like even I used to love go parties, have, you know, whatever, have a drink here or there, blah, blah, blah. But I was never like doing drugs and getting high and doing all that stuff. But I started to engage in that a little bit, even towards the end of the relationship before she officially called it off. She's like, I don't even know who you are anymore. You're like smoking all the time and getting high and all this, whatever. So 
I started to descend a bit into some levels of depression. And I remember I was finishing up high school and night school. Because I was just like, I didn't even care about school. I'd hardly ever show up or anything. So I was finishing up high school and night school. And remember, I met these guys and we smoke up and drink a bunch after class. And I remember just leaving their place like I was drunk. I was high and I was standing at the bus stop waiting to go home. And I'll never forget this. It was legitly at Keelan Lawrence. <laughs> so I was standing at Keelan Lawrence. What's that? It's an intersection. It's like I was standing by at the bus stop. If you lived in Toronto West, you'd know it. It's West Toronto. But anyways, I was standing at the bus stop. I was probably 19 years old. I was high and I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, but I, I didn't even identify it as the Holy Spirit. I was literally standing there talking to myself. And the Lord said to me, is this who I've called you to be? Is this what I created you for? And I'm standing at the bus stop having a conversation. I said, no. Right? I was like, no. Right. And uh, those two questions were just piercing through my heart. And I remember just on that bus ride home, I was just thinking, like, what the heck am I doing with my life? Like, you know, I was just like, I'm going to end up being just waste, you know, like I was just like, what the heck's going on? I remember when I got home, I went into the bathroom to kind of spruce up myself a little bit because I must have stunk like a skunk, right? You know, after you're smoking all that stuff, you stink. So I went to kind of freshen up a little bit and I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm not even lying to you, I could hardly even recognize the dude in the mirror. There was such a darkness that was over me. I was just like, yo, this is not even me. And legitly, about three or four months from then, I ended up in a church service. It was a Sunday night. Thank God for churches that still hold Sunday night services. I'd finished work at the time I was working at Staples Business Depot. You know, six o'clock, which was the time the church service started. And I was sick. I was feeling horrible. I was having stomach pains. But I just felt like, hey, you know what? Let me just go to church. Let me just see what's going on. My mom would always say, if you go to church when you're sick, that's the best thing you can do because maybe God will heal you. And I went to church that night and there was no preaching. A friend of mine who I'm still friends with to this day. In fact, she does a street ministry or street preaching, which I'm about to go to shortly after this call. Um, she was leading worship for the first time. And I was sitting in there. And the funny thing is she was praying for my salvation for years with my mom, unbeknownst to me. But I was sitting in there and it was like this God ordained moment. I just felt like, man, I need to go to the altar and just talk to God. Because at least, you know, when you grew up in church, you felt like growing up in church, it's like the altar is the place where God is. If you go there, God will meet you, right? So nobody had to coerce me or say, hey, come on up to the front and give your heart to Jesus. It wasn't like that. It was just, just during the worship, I just went down and I remember I knelt down at the altar and I just kind of said to God, like, hey, man, like I was just talking to God, like, hey, I'm here. And if you want to do anything with me, you can. I'm here. And that was the extent of my salvation prayer. And I just remember, I don't know if I fell asleep at that altar or I just blanked out. I don't know what happened. It was a transformational moment, but I can't even explain to you what happened. But I was there for a few minutes and maybe I blanked out or whatever. But when I got up, man, all I could say is I felt like I was walking on cloud nine. Like literally the person who went down there had all sorts of darkness, like clouds of darkness around them and got up. And it was like, now I'm just walking on air now. Like it was just, there was such a lightness, like all of the depression or heaviness, everything was gone. And I literally decided that I sprinted around the church. Um, I remember 19, 20 year olds, my 20 year old self was 
much slimmer than I am now. And I love the energy. So, but yeah, my mom was like bawling her eyes out. My sister had realized there because they, they were going to church the whole time when I, while I was, I guess, prodigal son or whatever, black slidden or whatever. And um, yeah, I just gave my heart back to God. And since then, it's been a journey. That was about 15 years ago. It's going to be 16 years, I believe, in March of 2021. And so, so yeah, it was some time ago, but yeah, it was a powerful salvation experience. So how long did that moment last? <laughs> I think that feeling lasted for months because honestly, like the day I got saved, I was in, I was on fire. Like I was in the word for like, you know, because school had pretty much ended. I didn't have much going on for the summer because I was only, I only had one or two courses that I was doing to finish off high school. It took me forever to finish high school. I was not trying to rush through that. So I had so much time and all I was doing was just getting in the word and praying. So I was like literally enveloped in the word. I read through the New Testament like three times and probably in three months. So I was just reading the word and praying and I was just stuck up in my room. And it was just a time of kind of communing with God and getting to know God on a different level. So it was, it was definitely a beautiful time. Like, I think the feeling subsided when I kind of came out of that, it was almost as if I was a hobbit. Like this was all I was doing for weeks and months. So once this was over and school was starting back now, it's like, okay, I'm going to university now. I'm coming out into the real world. So after that experience, were you completely done with sex addiction, drug addiction? Or were there still struggles? Great question. So the drug stuff fell off. Like, I've never even had the temptation to drink or smoke. Like, I'll have a glass of wine with my wife or whatever when we're eating certain meals for dinner or whatever. But outside of that, I'm not a drinker or drugs or anything. It's not a major temptation for me. So that kind of just fell off right away. The sexual morality thing, that was like an ongoing, like, yeah, it was when I started going to university and I was like, oh, oof, oof. Like, you know, you go walking around school and it's like, yo, who's that? And you just want to talk to this person and that person and get to know this person and that person. So that's kind of where the struggle kind of came back, you know what I mean? So why do you think it was so easy for you to give up your drug addiction, but it wasn't as easy to give up the sex addiction? It's a great question. I don't know if I necessarily have an answer more than like, I wouldn't even say I was addicted to drugs. I just liked doing them because it was something to do with friends. It was more about the community or building the relationship with people. You'd smoke and talk back and whatever, you know, like, so it was more around that. And when I came into Christ, obviously I had a new community of friends, right? So they were that. We were talking about the Bible. We were talking about God. We were talking about how we're going to touch the nations and all this stuff. So it was like that had been replaced by a different community because the whole drugs and smoking stuff was more about being with friends. I wouldn't be at home smoking by myself. I should always be with people, right? So that was probably part of the reason why that was so simple. The sex thing was always a secret, and that's why it's so dangerous to me, right? It was always a secret, even before salvation. It's like, you know, that's something that you do in private, right? You're not doing that out there with people. So it was kind of easy to keep that going because it was a part of my, quote, secret life, right? So then some people might take that as an indication of if we can't keep this to ourselves, if we can't be ashamed about it for ourselves, then we need to go out and be public about it, be public about who we are. 
And I can see that going wrong in so many different ways. I don't know, maybe like you're a pastor and you just decide one day to tell your congregation, oh, I've been looking at porn all this time, but I'm making a public commitment right now to never go back ever again. And I hope all of you will trust me from now on because I'm being honest and vulnerable in this moment. Or alternatively, you could have someone who's just saying, (laughs) you know what, I'm not going to be masturbating in private anymore. I'm going to go out to where the orgies are and the nightclubs, and I'm going to be public and I'm going to be out and I'm going to be proud about my sexuality and uh, who I am, whether it's as a player or something else. So bringing it into the light, let me clarify bringing it into the light, because that's a great question. Bringing it into the light is not just bringing it from a private place into a public place. That's just called exposing yourself, right? I'm not necessarily talking about exposing yourself per se, but I'm talking about exposing the sinful nature of what you're doing. So in order to expose the sinful nature, you have first have to recognize that it's a sin. And then into the light is bringing it to Christ and following the biblical patterns for how we can do that. So for me, like bringing it into the light was I had a good friend at a season where I was walking with him and he was helping to walk my own quote, um, deliverance and freedom, right? So we would, we would meet similar to like what we do in a group session now would meet once a week. I would call him on a regular basis. He'd see how things are going. He'd give me some scriptures. We would get in the word and fellowship together on a regular basis. And for me, that was bringing it into light because there was somebody I could confide in, pray with, share when I was struggling. He would advise, he would give me, uh, you know, because he had been through it himself and he was a bit older than I. And so that's the idea. And not just to say, I'm going to just come out here before, you know, whatever, 400, 500 people and just tell them this is what I'm going to make a post about it online and just say that I, who I am this is what I've been struggling with, because that doesn't necessarily, it, I mean, it can maybe, uh, it may be what the Lord is saying for some, I'm not saying that it isn't because, you know, maybe the Lord is saying to some of these pastors, it's time for you to come out into the light, say, this is what you've been struggling with. And perhaps it's time for you to take a season to step down and you need that accountability. And I honor people who are going to, do things like that because you know what it's not easy and it's definitely something that that should be done if you're struggling that way and you're leading you know lots of people and all that stuff for me bringing it into the light is following scriptural pattern so having that accountability creating that accountability seeing those things through actually believing that what you're experiencing is not right or what you're giving yourself to is not right that it's in nature a lot of people don't see this stuff as sinful. They might even just categorize, oh, it's just an issue that I have. Like we use these words, it's an issue, it's a problem, but we don't call it sin, right? So it's like recognizing it for what it is is, is actually quite important. Well, the word sin sounds so archaic, right? Yeah, I know. We don't use these words in our, in our, in our culture anymore. Like these words are... <laughs> But that, even that is a trick, right? That's all true, in my opinion. It's like, we got to be able to call sin, sin, and be able to say we're going to actively stand against sin. And I think there's in, in being clear. How have you been able to move forward from that sin? How have you been able to rebuild your life from where you once were? How have you been able to develop your ministry? 
like you used to be this uh, drug addicted, sex addicted guy who was probably going to screw himself further into the future. How did you get to a point where like right now you're a mortgage broker, happily married with children and granted you're not like at the pinnacle of your life right now, yeah. but you're objectively better off than where you were 15 years ago. I'm going to give you the cookie cutter Christian answer, but it's just far too true to not say it. It's, it's truly the grace of God. Like all I could say is it's God's grace that my wife accepted me, accepted my proposal and chose to love me regardless of the things that I'm struggling and today have struggled with. You know, I was talking to you guys last night about endeavoring to become more of a patient person to overcome, you know, frustration and anger and some of these other issues. It's the grace of God that I have two beautiful daughters whom I love very dearly. To have a business and and a family and all that stuff. Honestly, it's been God's grace. Like when I came into salvation, these are some of the things that I desired. I wanted to be married. I wanted to start a family. And these are some of the things that I desired. And God was faithful to help me get to that place. When I was 20, I was nowhere near ready for that sort of thing. I was, you know, super selfish. And through time, through uh, relationships with people and the ups and downs of running with people, even in ministry and stuff like that, I grew significantly. And that was all a part of the preparation for the stage that I'm at now. I just think for people to grow and to overcome, they just have to trust in Christ and give them lean, lean into him and, and give the, themselves over to him. And that's kind of been my daily endeavor is to just give myself over to Jesus and say, hey, Lord, have your way with me today. Let your will be done in my life today. Show me your ways. Teach me your principles. Like I just want to I just want to make sure I'm walking in the way that I should be. That's kind of my daily goal. I was even I believe that last time I was saying to you guys, like, I think I would if it wasn't for Christ the depths of darkness that I could have possibly been involved in, um, I would have been a completely different person altogether. So yeah, I thank God for his grace and his mercies that's towards me. Like the fact that I came to know you, people like TK, Carissa, I was even sharing that with them a a couple Sundays ago. I was saying to them, like, you guys have been such a blessing in my life. Like where I was at times where I was discouraged, like, hey, where are those young people who are seeking God and who want to do something proactive for God and just to come into meeting you guys have been just a huge um, encouragement for me. What do you see as the focus of your life and your ministry right now? That's a great question. So I'll, I'll give a couple, I'll give a couple scriptures. First will be on my personal mission, Malachi four, verse five and six. It says, Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, I will send the prophet Elijah and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Right. Um, Thus I come and smite the earth with a curse. So this is a prophetic scripture and it's just signifying that God is going to release a prophetic movement. That's what Elijah represents. He's a prophetic man, a prophetic movement before he returns. That's actually going to bring the generations together. And I've always felt personally, since I was even the early years of my salvation, those early days of reading the New Testament over and over and and praying and all that, 
the Lord gave me the scripture. Even though that's the last couple verses actually in the Old Testament, he gave me that scripture and pointed me towards that as a personal mission. My heart has always been towards the next generation or those who are younger. Even when I was myself, quote, a youth, at that time, I was teaching and preaching to the 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds when I was 20. So now I have a bunch of relationships. Now being 35, I have a bunch of relationships with guys who are in their 20-odds because I've been talking to them for the past decade. And I felt like it was so important to reach out to the next generation. I feel like every generation, and when I say generation, we're all kind of of the same generation, but let's say decades. So the 30-odds should be reaching to the 20-odds and the 20-odds should be reaching to the teens. And we should be building that that repertoire together, that type of rapport generation to generation. And that could help to do away with much of what we see in the church today is such a generational gap that a lot of these churches don't know how to reach young people anymore. And that's because they've just focused on reaching as many people as possible, but not focusing their attention to a specific group of people who are within their age range that they can touch. So part of my personal mission is to reach a generation with that message of, hey, the Lord has a will for your life. It's a prophetic purpose that God has for you. And you got to turn to him. Your heart has to be turned to the father in order to even know that, right? And God is going to turn his heart to you, return to him, and he will return to you. And you can get to, to know him in that way, right? So that's part of my personal mission. As for the kingdom of God, so Jesus says, right? All authority has been given in, given to me in heaven and in earth. And so then he says, "Go, therefore, go and preach the gospel. So that's what he's saying. Go and preach the gospel because all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, right? So when we have that understanding that Jesus is the King Supreme, and this is what I'm learning in my everyday life, I want Jesus to be the ruler of my life. It's hard for us to understand because we live in a democratic society where we elect our leaders, we get to choose our leaders. Everything is about opinions, options, convenience, Everything is pluralistic, where in a kingdom, we lean into the king. We trust in the decision-making of the king, that he knows what's best for us as of his kingdom, as citizens of his kingdom. He knows what's best for us, and we lean into his wisdom and his knowledge. Like, we just don't have that understanding as a people. We feel that we need to be self-sufficient instead of dependent on a king. So for me, it's about understanding that he has all authority. It's already been given to him and he's currently ruling right hand of his father. And that rule is meant to be manifest through my life, through your life as believers of Jesus. That dominion is meant to be manifested through each one of us. And collectively, we can have show a strong witness in our respective cities and regions. This is the power of the church, right? Collectively, in our different cities and regions, we can show a strong witness as to what that dominion looks like, right? And so I'm not giving too much thoughts or answers to this because this is a real deep conversation. Like this would need to be a whole nother podcast by itself. But I think it's important for us to come together as believers, mobilizing young Christians, young believers who have callings, who have desires to do great things for God, like yourself, and helping to, one, give them the word, train them in the word, develop them in the word, because that's the anchor, the words of the King, the Bible, the Gospels, and understanding ourselves through a, a gospel-centric, biblical worldview, 
And then we can bring that understanding to the public sphere. We can bring that, quote, teaching or doctrine to the public sphere. And I think that's where we've lacked in recent generations. Like the generations of old, they just had this understanding that their biblical understanding, worldview, and life had direct applications to the way the world should be run. But today, we encourage people to come to our churches We want to build membership within the ranks of our churches, which is fine and great. However, we're not encouraging these people to be proactive. And even if we are, there's a gap. We have to then train them and give them the tools to do it as well, right? So that's some of the gaps that I see. And that's where I believe God's called me to fill those some of those gaps, help people understand a little bit more about God's kingdom and how they can bring a witness of his kingdom to the culture, right? So that, that's kind of where it's at. So you want Christians to be able to influence the public. You want the government to be run on the basis of Christian ideals. How would you see that happening? Because we live in a fallen world. That's a great question. Our country is, it was founded barely on Christian principles, not completely, but primarily the North Americas themselves for the most part. And we've regressed from that for a lot of different reasons. And again, whole nother podcast to go into why, how we progress, why we regress and this and that. I don't think we are going to change the whole world prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, I do believe that if we are strategic about it, we can together make a great impact. And it's starting to happen already. There's a lot of movements, even in our nation today, that are pro-Bible, pro-life, for lack of a better word, pro-biblical principles and morals. And they're finding ways to bring those conversations to the public sphere, right? To say that we live in a fallen world and kind of the world is going to hell in a handbasket, which is the approach that many believers have taken. Whether they want, they recognize it or not, they feel like, you know what, everything down here is so bad and I just can't wait to go to heaven. Jesus, come and rapture me out of here. And I just feel that I know that that's not the perspective that God wants us to have. He wants us to occupy, to wants us, and occupying means filling up. He wants us to fill up the earth with what? His righteousness, with his goodness, with his kingdom, with his principles, with his truth. I believe that political involvement is one avenue to that. It may look like for some people running for office, which I have quite a few friends who are making moves to run for office in the next election, but it may not even look like that. It might just look like supporting, volunteering, lobbying the government on particular issues that are of importance to, you know, our Judeo-Christian community, just getting more involved in what's going on in the quote secular, even though I don't even like that word secular, secular spheres of society. Because the Bible says he has authority in heaven, which we would obviously agree with. All the angels worship him. You know, he totally has authority in heaven. The will of God is being done in heaven. But then it says in earth. And if you think about that, that authority has been given to Jesus in the earth. Like we as his representatives or as his ambassadors have to live up to that call to exercise the authority of Jesus in the earth. And I believe the early church, they were definitely doing that. That's why it was said of them, like, you guys are filling up all of Jerusalem with this God. 
And that's the type of accusation that I would hope would come to our Christian communities in Toronto. Like, you guys are filling up this whole city, this gospel. Like, shut up. You know, they wanted them to shut their mouths, and they wouldn't because the apostles and the early church community was walking in that revelation. Well, I can imagine that people would accuse you of trying to legislate morality and of you trying to impose your religion on other people. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. We've bought into the lie of, and I, I think this is just not a reality, the separation of church and state. In the kingdom, it's, there is no separation between spiritual activity and, quote, political activity. I won't even call it religious, but there's no separation between that. They're actually meant to impact each other because spiritual authority will all, always lead to, I won't say po the political activism is not the word. When you operate in your spiritual authority, you'll always bring change and results. And that's the whole part of the purpose of politics is to bring change and results to how we order our society. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to start from a spiritual place, right? A lot of the issues that we solve through political means are actual spiritual issues, are actual sin issues. You know, issues like racism is a heart issue. It's based on hatred. It's based on classism. These are heart issues. These things get solved with the gospel, not with, you know, better policy, right? So we have to start on a heart level or on a spiritual level. And then from there, we can, we can address things on a more political level. In my understanding of the Bible and the kingdom, I can't really separate the church and state because there's, there's such a relation between spiritual things and the way this plays out and the way we live our lives daily. It makes sense. I just can't imagine there would be a 100% acceptance rate of something like that. Oh, there will not be. And that's part of the reason why we, we won't even attempt it as a church, because we're still trying to get people to accept us and love us. People will hate us if we actually walk in this reality. And that was the reality of the early church. They were hated, right? They were seen as a threat to the Roman Empire, right? Because they were speaking about a whole nother king, right? But I think as we approach the days of, of the Lord's coming, the church will be more willing to accept that hatred, as a part of the prophecy, right? Jesus himself said, you'll be hated for my name's sake by all nations, right? For my name's sake, right? So like, if we understand that as a part of the prophecy and we, have, we won't be, you know, afraid to walk in our authority and we won't be considering being accepted by people as the, the main priority. Right now, a lot of that is the majority of our priorities. We want to be accepted. We want to be sensitive to those who are hearing or receiving. But the gospel... In truth, the gospel is, is, is a very offensive message. If you're really looking at it, it's offensive in many different ways, right? And we're not purposely trying to add things to it to make it all the more offensive. But even when we preach it humbly and truthfully, it can be offensive to those who are in sin, and it should be. And we shouldn't be ashamed of it. Running out of time right now. I'm assuming you have other things to do with the rest of your day. Before we go... Is there anything that you want to plug or promote? Oh, great, great question. Um, so right now, what we're, we're starting something called the Capstone Collective. It's, it's actually in its, its very infancy. We had our first meeting on Sunday gone. So there'll be more to plug about it later. But it's exactly what we were talking about in terms of mobilizing people who 
have a heart to do something great for the kingdom, training them, helping to position them, get them out there through small things, things like house gatherings, having hosting their own Zoom calls, things like this podcast. How do you get your messaging out? How do you in some way contribute to this larger movement of preaching the gospel of the kingdom, right? And so we want to get people active and not just going to church and listening in the pews. We don't need more church parishioners. We need people who are going to have a missional spirit and go out there, even through these means that we're using now online and things like that to get the message out there. So that's kind of what the Capstone Collective is about in a nutshell. And you'll definitely be seeing more and hearing more about it as we go along. Do you have any social media for that? It's all just started. We're actually developing the logo right now. I'm waiting for the logo to come on before we launch it. Like if you YouTube or on Instagram, you'll find the Capstone Collective, but there'll literally be nothing there. So yeah, you'll see all this stuff coming down the line. And we just we just really started. We're going to officially launch in the new year. So all the work right now is, is going on behind the scenes. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for taking some time out of your crazy schedule. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate just how far you're willing to go for people like me, people in our group, people <laughs> even in your church community. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And I'm hoping to meet you again uh, sometime in March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can definitely do this again some other time. Maybe we'll focus a little more on the kingdom and what's going on once it starts happening. And thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate being on here with you. You're welcome. See you guys. This has been Because We're Not the Same, a podcast hosted, produced, and edited by Nathan Raymond Ray, with special guest Mark Wong. To listen to more episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Verbal, iHeartRadio, or Podbean. You can also visit our Facebook page or our website, bwntscast.wordpress.com. If you're interested in coming on the show as a guest, feel free to reach out to us, and we'll see about having you on. Thank you for listening.